Welcome to the Reform Journal Podcast, where we're talking about faith and church, scripture and theology, as well as culture, politics, history, literature, arts, and the sciences, with thoughtful, interesting people coming at it from a generously Reformed perspective. Find us at reformjournal.com. This is Jeff Monroe, editor of the Reform Journal. This summer on our podcast, we're going to be talking with some of the people who write on our blog regularly. And I'm happy today to be joined by Kate Coyman, blogger extraordinaire for the Reform Journal, herself also a sometimes interviewer on these podcasts and an ordained minister in the Reformed Church in America and an all-around interesting person. So I'm looking forward to having this conversation with Kate. Kate, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. The listeners don't know that I'm silent laughing at all the things that you're saying here about my extraordinaire and all yes, these things. You are. I'm really super glad to be being able to talk with you. Yeah. So one of the questions that we're using, and we're using this on some essays, and we'll use this on the podcast, it's a question I heard from Thomas Lynch the poet. It's a 10-syllable question, as only Thomas Lynch could do. And it's, how do we come to be the ones we are? So I'm just interested in how Kate came to be Kate. So just tell us about your upbringing and your education. Yeah. So I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in the suburbs here. I I went to a uh, a Christian school for just three years of elementary school. And then I was in our urban public school system from there and ended up doing my undergrad at Calvin because of a sort of surprising life event that happened and kind of changed my life, which is that my senior year of high school, I was getting ready to go to my dream college and move away and all these things. And one day in March, my uncle came he knocked on our back door to deliver some news that changed my life, which was that my dad died. So my dad at 51 was away on a trip. He was a, a doctor and he was doing some medical work in Guatemala and hadn't had heart problems that we knew of before, but one day was here and the next day was gone. And so it really changed my life um, in every way. One of those ways being kind of practically that the plans that I had been dreaming about up until that point to move away and to do the big university thing just didn't feel right anymore. And I ended up at Calvin, which was a couple miles down the road from the house I grew up in. And so that's how I ended up doing my undergraduate degree at Calvin. And I thought I wanted to be a doctor like my dad. Wow. And then I uh, took an organic chemistry class and realized that was not my gift many, at all. My brain would not want to do many that. find out they don't want to be doctors when they take, after they take organic chemistry or in the yeah. process of taking that. That's true. It, it wasn't my thing. So I ended up with a, or I, I ended up with a, with an English degree. And then I, I kept taking all of these religion classes just because I liked them. And I liked, I think what I especially liked about it is that it was, it was my introduction to really thoughtful Christianity and my religion professors and the curriculums that they were teaching didn't shy away from some of the things that I really was struggling with as I was trying to put my faith back together. 
having been what I think was a pretty standard American evangelical teenage growing up, you know, uh, I was not ready for the kinds of questions that I had after experiencing a sudden loss like that. Big questions. And that's where I was feeling like I could hold them was with some of those theology professors and some of those classes. So actually ended up with a religion major kind of by accident because I just kept taking those classes. And yeah, and that's, I think, the trajectory that I ended up on that led me to seminary, which is never, ever something that I thought. Yeah. So why did you then go to seminary? Yeah, so I never thought about it. When I went to seminary, it was funny because there were a lot of students who were learning alongside of me who would say, you know, I've wanted to do this since I was five. You know, I like lined up my teddy bears and preach sermons to them or whatever. And that was not my experience. In fact, I think while I was in seminary, I was still trying to figure out what I was doing there and what my call was, which is a big question that they ask a lot in seminary. Um, I didn't have a good answer. So, but, but I think the way I would tell the story now, looking back on it, is that the first thing that happened is I had a professor Laura Smith at Calvin, who wrote in the margins of one of my papers that this reads like a sermon. Have you ever thought about seminary? And I had not ever until that point. And uh, when I graduated, I tried a bunch of jobs that I learned a ton at and I learned didn't suit me well. Um, One of them was a social work kind of job. So I worked in a group home for adolescent girls and, um, have so much respect for people who do direct service work. And I wasn't great at that. And then I worked at Baker Publishing in Christian Publishing. And I learned very quickly that there are some English majors who are really good at an eye for detail. (laughs) That's also not me. (laughs) And so I had just gotten married and my husband and I decided to move to Honduras to be teachers at a Christian school in Honduras. And that was the place that I think I really started to be interested in what a theological education could offer because I felt like my eyes were opened when I was in Honduras to um, poverty. You know, I, I think I had grown up in a culture that has a lot of poverty, but we hit it. You know, I lived in the suburbs and we do a lot of things, I think, in America that that hide the face of poverty from people who have privilege. And But in Honduras, they don't have, you know, highways where you pass over, you know, the parts of town where people who don't have homes are. You can't drive around it. Can't drive around it. So it was kind of right there. And it was a real struggle for me to figure out, you know, how do I live as a Christian in in this place where I'm teaching these kids at school? And I can see basically from my classroom, or at least on the way to school, you can see a child picking through a dump to try to find something to eat for the day. And it just felt that was a real adjustment for me. And I think I spent a lot of time thinking, you know, what are the Christians in this country doing that they're not addressing this stuff? And why are we not talking about this as a Christian school or whatever all the time? It took me a while to realize that, you know, the story wasn't that different than what I had grown up with. I hadn't grown up at a church that was talking a lot about issues like poverty or systemic injustice or these things. So I think that's really what that realization that I hadn't gotten that. It had taken me a while to connect those dots and that I really wanted to be part of offering something different to people growing up in the church so that they could really connect their faith, their walk with Christ 
with some of these issues of injustice. And so that's why I went to seminary. Okay. So you had a little gap there, maybe a couple of years, three years from college graduation to attending seminary and you chose Western. Had you been going, had you grown up in the RCA? I know you went to the CRC college. What? You're hearing my adorable dog in the background. Oh, I'm really sorry. Thank you for barking. Okay. Got a little dog interruption. That's all right. We can live with that. She's so cute and she's such a good guard dog. So, so will you say that what the question was again? Yeah, sure. I said, you wound up going to Western. Had you grown up in the RCA? Were you, because you'd gone to Calvin, a CRC school. Just curious about that. Yeah. No, I was baptized in a Reformed church because at that time we lived in Grand Haven and my parents were members of a Reformed church in Grand Haven. And so that is my roots. But um, shortly after we moved to a part of the country that didn't have a Reformed church, um, and so I kind of bounced around churches a lot growing up. I was a part of the Presbyterian Church, PCUSA, as a little kid and then as a, a middle schooler when we moved back to Michigan. And then in my high school years, my family decided to, to join a church in the Evangelical Covenant. Okay. And so that was my kind of formative youth groupy high school years was Evangelical Covenant Youth Group. And then I was also really active in Young Life. And so that was really formative for me in my high school years. And then also in my college years, I was uh, part of Young Life then as well. So I didn't join um, a Christian Reformed church until college. And really the reason for that was that I met a boy who went to a CRC church. And uh, when we started getting serious about each other, I thought I better join this church. So, yep. So that's when I joined Madison Square Church, which is a, a core city church in Grand Rapids that's really committed to racial justice and racial reconciliation. And so that became a big value of mine as I learned how to worship in ways that were different than what I knew and how you can grow when you're uncomfortable in a worship service that became pretty important. So... So I didn't go to Western because it was reformed. I went to Western because we needed, for logistical reasons, to stick around West Michigan. Um, and I had several friends who were women who had gone to Western. And I felt like that felt like a safe spot for me. Um, and they had good things to say about it. And then when you gra after you graduated from Western. Let's talk a little bit about your career since then. I know you worked for the Office of Social Justice in the CRC, but was that your first position out of seminary? You got that? Yeah, yeah it, it was actually looking back on it so great um, because, you know, I had said I wanted to go to seminary because of this conviction that, that I wanted to help people make a connection between social justice and their faith. And which meant I was like a, a difficult uh, student for the the people who have to set you up with a good teaching church placement. That's what it was called when I was there is your sort of internship or like your learning spot that, you know, there were, I didn't really want to be at a congregation because I wanted to focus on some of that bigger picture stuff. And the place that I found that was doing it was the Office of Social Justice at the Christian Reformed Church. So a couple years into, you know, I did do some work at a church and I did some other things for internships. And then I connected with the Office of Social Justice as a seminary intern. 
okay. and loved it. And I was lucky enough that, that they were able to create a brand new position and to expand what they were trying to do to connect with congregations. And so that became my job right out of seminary. And it was like the thing that I said I wanted to do. Yeah. That I was getting to do. It was cool. And then, but you did get ordained in the RCA. Just That's trying right. to keep all these, these, uh, I know. Programs, uh, I think that I do say that I'm, I'm like an opportunist when it comes to like denominational affiliation. Opportunist. Okay. <laughs> That's good. No, the RCA was really welcoming to me. And I think being at Western, I met so many people who just really wanted to help me along in my call. And so one of those places was Trinity Reformed Church, which in Grand yeah, Rapids. Which took me under care. Yeah. And yeah. and the classes was involved. And the folks were really cool about the fact that I was working at the CRC, but that they wanted to help me in that journey. So yeah, I'm ordained in the RCA, but most of my ministry experience was at their Christian Reformed Church. Yeah. So, so then how long were you with the Office of Social Justice? I was there for, I don't know, five years or something. And then I ended up taking a call to work at the campus ministry office at Hope College. Okay. So I did that for three years. And then, so we can talk about that if you want. But then I ended up back at the Office yeah. of Social Justice after Hope College. So a little flipping and flopping and different experiences there. Yeah. And then the second time with the Office of Social Justice, that was for another how many years? That was for another five years or so. So a little over 10 years total with the Christian Reformed Church. Yeah. I'm just curious. Let's stick on that for a second. And it, it, just talk for a minute about what you loved about that and what was frustrating about yeah, that. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind when you ask what I loved was I had an amazing team of people that I got to work with. We yeah. had fun every day and we trusted each other and we were doing work that wasn't always, didn't always feel good. We weren't always getting great feedback or good vibes from folks, but I think that we kept each other, you know, feeling connected to the work and feeling connected to one another. And I learned so much um, from working with people who had grown up differently than me. And we just really were, I think, vulnerable and a great team. And so that was, probably my favorite part. The work itself, I had so many really cool conversations, hard conversations with people in congregations who had learned that we don't talk about politics and who I think were really hungry to figure out, you know, what would it look like for us to be, you know, having some of these tough conversations, disagreeing with each other or being open to learning new things or reconsidering things that we had, you know, always thought so that we can do a better job with our Christian witness. In, in you know the, those times that were so rapidly changing when it came to how to engage politics, because I was there you know before 2016 when Donald Trump was elected, which was to me a real kind of watershed time in that role. It felt like things were really starting to change. Yeah, and 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 let's face it. I mean, you alluded to this. It's not. Um being in a prophetic or in a social justice ministry of the church is not widely embraced by the majority of the church. Yeah. That's yeah. look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. They didn't have a good time either. No, they <laughs> it's always been difficult. So keeping your energy to do that, not burning out doing that, those are really difficult 
Thanks. Yeah, it, it was. I think there were a lot of challenges. And I think I think it also, you know, being involved in justice work as a person of, of privilege, as a white person trying to talk about racial justice issues, for example, being a, a wealthy person trying to talk about poverty issues, I think it requires it's it requires that you open yourself up to being wrong, to being redirected by the people who know better than you do, to be humble and sometimes feeling a little humiliated that you hear, you know, we think that we are called to do this work and fix these things that are wrong. And oftentimes I think we, uh, it was always so helpful, but so painful for me to have people say, all right, simmer down. (laughs) Like, Uh, you don't, you you maybe don't know as well as a person who is as impacted what the right thing is to do here. Thanks, but budge, take a backseat, you know? And so I think that that's part of what was hard. It wasn't just the pushback from people who didn't agree. It was the sort of the things I needed to face within me of my own triumphalism and my own sense of my being better and smarter and all this stuff that I maybe didn't always want to look at and admit were part of what was going on with me. That's the good stuff, but it's the hard stuff for sure. Yeah. So now you're working in politics, which yeah. having a thick skin working in the Office of Social Justice prepared you for in some ways. And you've always been a political creature, it seems to me like in some way. So let's talk about that. Describe yeah. your job. You work for a state senator, right? For Winnie Brinks from Grand Rapids. Yeah. And- yeah. So tell us what you're doing now. Yeah, my job is district director. So that means that while she is, you know, in in the Capitol doing the work of, you know, setting budgets and negotiating legislation and all that stuff, I am back in the district trying to meet with folks and hear people out and give people the time and understand the issues and all that kind of stuff. So that's what the role is, which I really enjoy because I love being part of those conversations that matter. And I love connecting policy with problems because I always have, have really believed that there are, there are limits when it comes to what charity can solve. And there are also big problems that, that are created by the policies that we agree to in this country. And so I, I feel like it's part of why I cared about the work of the Office of Social Justice. It's part of why I care about a lot of stuff I write about on the blog is that's just sort of what animates like how I think about faith in the world. And so it's fun to have a role that's like actually in politics instead of kind of politics adjacent like I've been for so yeah. long. That's great. And you, you just mentioned your writing on the blog. And so I do want to talk with you about that. You exploded onto the blog. Your first blog uh, entry was done in 2016 and it was called, I'm sick of appreciating teachers. It is, it went viral. It is still the, the most viewed, I mean, it has over half a million views. It's the most viewed thing that's ever been written on our blog, on the Perspectives Reform Journal blog. Way to go. I, I'm, I'm proud of you for that, Kate. But how did that come about? How did you get invited? Did Steve invite you? Steve Matney Vanderwell invite you? I, can, I don't even know the backstory on all yeah. that. The teacher's blog wasn't my first, but it was one of the first. Okay. I, I was invited I, I because think of it as the first. Yeah, it was the big one or whatever. That was such a funny experience for me. But 
Teresa Latini was the regular contributor. um, And I think was taking a bit of a sabbatical from writing. And so I was just filling in for Teresa and yeah, and really enjoyed it and was encouraged by my boss, you know, to do it and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I was just kind of doing my thing, like trying to be, say the annoying thing. What do you think? You know? And so I'm actually, my first blog was about, it was about Christians who care about clean water and connecting that to the Flint water crisis. Oh, okay was the first thing I wrote and it was that was you know it's an interesting and vulnerable experience to put something on the internet to be honest and especially to put something on the internet that might hurt folks feelings who are you know nice people who you like and and agree with you know but to try to say something in a compelling way that people you know will read and care about and maybe have feelings about yeah you got to you got to put yourself out there so I feel like I've gotten a little better at that feeling of vulnerability when you press publish, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So where did that idea for I'm sick of appreciating teachers, how did that all happen? Yeah. So um, my oldest child was in kindergarten at our urban public school, a neighborhood public school, and had a teacher that I think will go down in history as just the quintessential amazing educator for me. I ju- her name is Mary Vode. And she was such a, just an amazing, she's just really good at what she does. And my husband was a teacher. And so living with a public school teacher, trying to live on the income a public school teacher makes, I mean, it was just a challenge for me, you know, and I would get all huffy about it, you know, like, you know, you get summers off, but like, if I didn't work, we'd be on food stamps. Like what he was getting paid, it just wasn't enough to support a whole family. And it made me mad, you know? Um, and then to watch this Miss Vode, who was just uh, so good at what she did. She could, she could teach kids who had all kinds of, you know, disabilities or emotional issues, kids who were coming from wealthy homes, kids who were coming right from refugee camps. She had everybody in her classroom and everybody was getting the kind of attention that they needed. Just felt like a miracle every time I watched her teach. And anyway, and so I remember one day, especially I I got a text or something from her that Jacob, my son had thrown up on the playground and (laughs) it was just this very, whatever he would, or no, I know, I'm sorry. He was playing with throw up on the playground. That's what it was. And so she texted me just to let me know, well, this happened on the playground. So we just scooted him over to another place. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like you're so good at this. So that was my inspiration was it was teacher appreciation week. And I was so appreciative that my kid didn't come home with E. coli or something. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted her to get paid more. I just thought you're a professional and we need you. And why is it that you can't you know, why is that so hard for teachers like you to get a mortgage? Because your income is too low. That is so dumb. And yeah. so that was the inspiration. <laughs> yeah. It, it's harder now. It, it's harder now to be a teacher than it was in 2016. It's gotten even more difficult. So what was it like for you when that went viral? I remember looking on my phone, just checking to see if I had any comments yeah. on it. And 
I don't even really know what, I was so confused by what I was seeing. I thought my phone, there was something wrong with my phone. I was in the car or something when I was looking at it. And so it took me a while to figure, and then I kept thinking there must be a mistake with this. Cause why would this many people be reading yeah. the reform journal blog? Like, oh, come on, don't say that. <laughs> anyway, I was confused. And I think, I think really what happened, I don't really know, but I think that it got picked up and shared by teacher groups and, you know, on Facebook has a lot of groups. And so I think because it had this kind of title that made people want to like, why in the world would you not want to appreciate a teacher? And then the point of the article was like, let's stop giving them Starbucks cards. Instead, let's give them a raise. And then I think it was just the right timing. And then it got, it got picked up by some sources like that. I don't know. It's a mystery yeah. to me. Yeah. So it has like, I don't know, I didn't look at it this morning, but it, it has like 356 comments or something like that. And <laughs> on a good day on our blog, a dozen comments is, is normal, but you seem to be, you're the queen of writing oh, these kinds of pieces. You're the queen of comments. Yeah. You get a lot of reaction, Kate. So I'm curious about what goes on in that mind of yours. Oh man! For you to do a for when it's time for you to do a blog, what are you thinking about? Yeah, that is a very good question. I don't know what goes on in the mind of mine. I think I, I think having come into professional Christianity, you know, being a minister who got paid to do the stuff I do, I think that the the whole thing for me was that I wanted I wanted to say things out loud that were politely quiet about. Or I wanted to think differently about the stuff that we've all sort of accepted. Because I think that for me was what breathed life into this faith I was born into and always have had. I think it's what I, I think it's what helped me put the pieces of my faith back together after my dad died, was I sort of had to go from this idea of faith as being very manageable, very kind of predictable, like we we uh, maybe very moralistic. Like I had this idea that if, if I live good, then good things will happen. And that blew up in my face and I had to figure out a different thing then. And what I found, you know, in, in the theology classes and going to seminary is that there's just, there's a lot more than that, but that, but that the more requires us to have the sort of courage and stamina to look at things differently. I think the other thing is that I think having experienced something that felt like brokenness for me helped me have a vision for how much brokenness exists in other people's lives. And having grown up as a white suburban, fairly wealthy, sheltered kid, I didn't always under I didn't always have the eyes to see it. I think once I did start to to see that and once once people who had experienced injustice started to become voices that were helping me to figure out how to go on, how to live as a Christian, how to put my faith back together, how to do these things differently. I think I, I can't, I don't know how to not see that anymore, not talk about that or not connect that with my faith. And so I think that's maybe why I am always doing that. I'm always kind of talking about the, the political side or the, injustice side of things, because I really want, I want people to be able to experience that same kind of challenge or vitality of faith that I feel like has made sense for me. Yeah. But you do it very well. 
you have great titles. Did you take a class on how to write titles or something? And you and you stay, you get a point, you get one point and you stay on that point and you make that point very well. And a lot of our, and you're, and you're not wordy. So you see, I think that the rest of us, like me, there's a lot for us to learn from the way that you put them together. And so don't tell me that this is just all a gift of God that you can, can do. Did you go to school? So did you go to blog school someplace, Kate, that we yes, don't know about? I went to blog school. It was my 11th grade high school teacher. Really? Who made me write about 1 million five paragraph essays. And she was ruthless. And she was so good at teaching me how to write. And I actually think that year, which I did not enjoy, I thought I probably complained like crazy to her, but I think that she taught me, she taught me how to write. She was such a good teacher. Mrs. Have, you ever, Tiger. have you ever told her that? Um, I, I hope I have told her that. I, hope I, so. I haven't seen her in a long time, but I've told a lot of other people that okay. she really, you know, teachers are just my heroes, but I have benefited so much from teachers who have invested in me, but I will say Mrs. Kiger. Okay. Say her name again. Say it. Uh, Mrs. Kiger, 11th grade in English at Forest Hills Northern. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so where does writing fit in the constellation of all the things that you do? Well, so now I would say writing is, it's like the passion project on the side. You know, I do, you know, I've been doing the blog for a while and I keep thinking, oh, I think I'm done, you know, and I'm just never, I'm done. So I don't know. It's part of who I am, I think. And I've been really privileged to have been given the opportunity to do it for so long at the Reform Journal blog. I did for a time during COVID when I needed work, I've been working at a marketing company as yeah. a writer. And that was been my first experience with professional writing and actually non, uh, the for-profit world even. So I had a huge learning curve with that kind of stuff. It was really nice to know I have a marketable skill <laughs> in the world, especially during a pandemic. I got a little worried that like, how am I going to make ends meet? So I did a little bit of that too, professionally for a while. Yeah. But now I would say writing is, I don't know. It's, I really enjoy doing it. And I will say it's hard. It's hard for me, that feeling of when you've got the deadline coming up, it's like you feel kind of nauseous and kind of resentful. And then you have to make something happen. And Wait, wait a minute, resentful? And yeah, you, you know, I look for someone to blame. It's someone's yeah. fault. Steve Manny Vanderwell, that's who you're thinking of? That yes. Oh, not... he's the worst wow. with the deadlines and his, yeah. I'm just kidding. He's the nicest person. Yes, he but... is gnashing of teeth because I don't want to actually do the work. Yeah. Well, I know what that feels like. I don't get resentful, but I know how hard it is to come up with an idea and feel like, oh, I got to get something to run with. So 10 years from now, which is more likely that we're going to see Kate Coyman running for office or we're going to see Kate Coyman's first book? Which of those are we going to see in 10 years, do you think? Well, I would never dare to guess where I'll be in 10 years because I didn't have any thought I would be here 10 years ago. But I think that writing has, has been the consistent dream for me since I was a little girl and writing, you know, little stories about dragons and notebooks and stuff. So I think if I had to choose, I would choose to write a book. That would be amazing. Okay. 
Well, run for office, so that'll get you a platform. That that's a big thing. I will say though that being now close to the political process, it takes some real chutzpah to be able to do what they do, and the schedule is not easy. And so, just like I said, I don't like being held accountable to producing things and showing up and having you know work to do. They work pretty hard. It might not be for me. One last thing I want to ask you about, Kate, and this has been really fun. And you've you've touched on this in some ways, but I met you when you were in college at Calvin. That's I, I remember that. Met you through Young Life. And so I'm just curious, you are not the same. You are the same person and you're not the same person that you were then. You were a lot of fun then. You still are a lot of fun today but you, you burn with a little more passionate intensity about some things today that you didn't then. So we're living in the, in the time of deconstruction of faith, of people trying to figure it out. You had the traumatic event with your father very early in your life that a lot of other people, the trauma of the last few years, the pandemic, polarization, the racial climate has created maybe some similar things in them that you went through maybe at a younger age. But I'm just curious what you would say in terms of those kind of, I don't know the right word, but those kind of trendy things like deconstruction and your faith and all that. As you think about it over the last 20 years of your life, where have you come from? Where are you going? How is it? How do you think it's changed? Mm Yeah. Yeah. I think that the pandemic absolutely was a formative time of change for me in terms of my faith. And so I think like a lot of other people and that, you know, there's sort of all kinds of, of things that are unique to me and my story about that. And then there was the collective pieces of what we were all doing, but it is interesting to live through a moment where I really resonate, I think with a lot of what people say when they describe their deconstruction journey and um, how things are really changing for them. And yeah, like you mentioned, it's not the first time I've had to change in terms of what I believe about God and what I think it means to follow Jesus. I think, um, You know, one thing that is really life-giving to me is letting go of the parts of my faith that are performative. I think one of the things that are really, that's hard about having been a, like a professional Christian, um, having been a minister uh, whose job is connected to my faith, was that I didn't always know the times when I was operating out of a, you know, people's expectations or projecting what people, you know, wanted me to say or do or think or a fear of being kicked out of the club, you know, if I asked a question or if I expressed an opinion. And I think one of the things that's the sort of like losses that that happened during the pandemic helped me to get free of was that idea that I needed to perform in order to belong. And I think it just opens up such a more intimate kind of experience with God. And it helps me know myself better to be able to recognize those parts of me. I think it helps me to think differently about what is scripture trying to say or, or do and what what does a Christian community look like that can 
build that up, you know, build that up in us that we're not performing. We're not trying to earn, you know, God's love. We're not trying to earn each other's, you know, respect and accolades. We're not trying to build power. We're not trying to, all of these things that I think that I am not interested in doing anymore as a Christian. And anyway, so I think that's opened up a lot of new stuff for me. I don't know where it will lead, uh, but it sure feels a different kind of closeness to God than what I had experienced before that I'm really grateful for. Even though I really miss a lot of the parts about being involved in ministry that I'm not doing anymore. Well, Kate, this has been a rich conversation. You are a bright light. I'm going to tell you that. I always like talking with you. And I just can't wait to see what the future holds because you're exciting. Uh, and great things are going to continue to come. And I don't want you to ever leave writing for the blog, please. Because it's, uh, it's so good. Love what you do, Kate. So thanks for being uh, willing to talk with us today. Yeah, thank you. And, and you know, one thing I want to say is that I think people don't recognize, Jeff, how hard you work and how hard Steve works. There are some people behind the scenes of this thing who really do. It's a labor of love. And I think what, what the blog and what the, what the website are offering is so important. It's such a gift. And so I'm really grateful for all the times that you, you know, like nag me in an email to do the thing I said I would do, or, you know, come up with new voices. And it's just, it's a resource that I think has been so helpful for so many people as we have all been navigating such a, you know, for this time, but also through the years. So thank you. For what you do. Thank you. Thank you, Kate Coyman. Thank you for listening to the Reform Journal podcast. Be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, share this podcast, and until next time, may the peace of Christ be with you.